and we lift up our voices in prayer to you, Lord, and thank you for your salvation. We thank you that uh, we have been uh, granted by you this grace of time to be with you and to be in your presence and, and to worship you and to lift up our voices and our hearts and to have you lift up our hearts, Lord, to lift up failing hearts, to lift up hurting hearts, to lift up damaged hearts. You are the specialist in making us whole. You have saved us and rescued us and you are uh, recreating in us the image of Christ Jesus. And Lord, we pray this morning that, that we would be people of total trust, total praise and and offer ourselves fully to you. You have uh, held back nothing from us, Lord. You have granted to us everything. You have given us your total commitment. And uh, so, our Father, I pray this morning that, that we would be that kind of people with you. I pray, Father, as we um, spend time now at the table of our Lord, uh, remembering the great cost of this relationship that we have with you. I pray, Father, that we would not take it lightly. I pray that we would not... Uh, um, allow ourselves to have this, um, this um, surface relationship with you, this, this uh, um, a relationship that comes and goes and, and uh, is shallow, Lord, but that we might be people who are really completely invested in why you saved us and why you rescued us and why you brought us into your family in the first place, that we might, in uh, the fullness of our commitment, honor and glorify you. We have fallen short of the glory of God. But Father, you are filling us with your spirit. You are causing us to, to be able to, um, in fullness, uh, reflect the glory of God in ever-increasing ways. And Lord, this is our great desire. So I pray now that um, as we... Uh, hear from your word as we hear from you, our Father in heaven. I pray, Lord, that we might value this time, this special time, when you call us together, you gather us around yourself, and you speak to us as a father to children because you love us. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the reason so many promises and resolutions in life remain unfulfilled or make a temporary difference at best in your life is because you don't really want to change. The truth of the matter is we talk about change, we talk about uh, uh, growth in our lives and all of that kind of thing, but what we really hope is that, that somehow it will just happen to us. And the truth is we don't change because we don't really want to change. I, I think it's important for us to know that Christianity or being a Christian is really a verb. Although grammatically I know it's a noun, a Christian, Christianity is a noun. In fact, we are not passive. We are not called upon simply to be Christian by name alone, but we are called to be people who are active. We are to be activists. And so that's why I really believe that theologically, Christian or Christianity is a verb. And it's to that that I want to give our attention this morning in the whole realm of what we've been preaching about in terms of personal or church revival as a lifestyle. It's not something that you generate up once a, a, a term in church. A personal revival, a community revival of the church is a commitment to Christianity being a verb. Christianity being that we are active in our faith, actively uh, following the Lord, and that change is what we long for, what we desire. We will change if we really want to change. That's the way it works, by God's strength. And, and, and evidently, as we open up our Bibles this morning to Nehemiah chapter 10, evidently, Israel really wanted to change. If your Bibles are open, you'll find that in Nehemiah chapter 9, at the very end of the chapter, verse 38, it says, in view of all of this, and of course, it's looking back through the previous chapter, which was the longest, that's the longest prayer that's recorded in the scriptures. We talked about this last week. And in that particular prayer, uh, the one praying identifies all of the faithfulness of God down through the ages to his people. 
And he marks out historic event after historic event where God had rescued or saved or provided for or, or, or protected his people in, in his great faithfulness. And, and God's people had a track record of faithlessness to him. And, and, but God never denied his people and never left his people and continued to be faithful to his people. And in the, at the end of this prayer, it says, in view of all of this... Who God is and what he has done for us. And, and it, it's, it's entirely appropriate as we, as we gather as a church community at the Lord's table for me to say in view of all of this, in view of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, in view of his sacrifice, in view of the sinless son of God giving up his life that we might have life eternal, forgiveness of our sins, guilt removed and placed into his family. In view of all of that, the same God who said, I will never leave you, I will not forsake you, all authority is given to me, and, and, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. In view of all of that, it says here, we are making a binding agreement and putting it in writing. And our leaders and our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Now that's what we're going to do this morning. I want the atmosphere of this gathering to be a binding agreement. And we're not going to sign anything. We're not going to fix our seals to anything. But I am going to give you an opportunity to be activist about your faith at the end of this service. We are going to make a binding agreement today. And we are going to commit ourselves to things today. We are going to take from what we get from the word of God and we are going to make promises to God. A binding agreement here in the, the words of the original language are karath an, uh, amana. And, and, the, and the, 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 the flavor of what they are agreeing to do here, or what they are saying, is they are using sacrificial language. This word for a binding agreement is uh, the word karath, which means... To cut, it's the covenantal language of the scriptures. Whenever they talked about a covenant in the word of God, they talked about cutting a covenant because a covenant was made in sacrificial, it's sacrificial language. It literally meant someone, some, some, some creature had to die in order to uh, illustrate the seriousness of this, com uh, of this covenant, this, this promise. We use that kind of language today. We still use that language when you say, I'm going to cut a deal with somebody. We don't necessarily know it's from the ancient uh, background of, commit, of, of a covenant or a promise in the Old Testament, in the ancient Near East, but that's what it is. And, and we have a perfect illustration. We have, we have the atmosphere of cutting a covenant this morning, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, who made a binding agreement with us to be our Savior. And he doesn't go back on it. And he invites us to make a commitment to him and not go back on it. And that's what this is all about this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. And I want to share with you that, that um, um, there are four keys that I, I want to um, as, uh, point out in the text this morning. Four key promises that I really believe uh, establish for us the proper context for a, a home. They'll be the governing or should be the governing documents of how you and your home will make decisions. As for me and my house, these are the promises that we make to the Lord in view of all that he's done for us. That's what we're talking about this morning. And so I want to dig into the text, but I want you to know that that what these promises are all about is answering the question, how in practical, in practical terms can I love the Lord? Loving the Lord is an action uh, word, action description as well. We choose to love the Lord. We, people ask, well, how, how, how do you love the Lord? How, how can I love the Lord with all of my heart and all of my mind and all of my soul and all of my body? What, what, what would that feel like? Well, more importantly, what would that look like? And today I want to, to answer that question because I believe this is a, a very relational time 
of covenant renewal between God's family and the living God. And this translates from the Old Testament into the New Testament community. This is a time, whenever we come to the Lord's table, we are making a, a, a renewal of our vows before God. We are coming before the Lord Jesus Christ and, and renewing that relationship of love, He with us and us with Him. It's always a, a binding agreement time. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the communion context, a man or a woman should examine themselves when they come to the Lord's table. And, and that's precisely what this is all about. And so this is really a how to love the Lord uh, presentation this morning. What would it look like uh, to love the Lord? And so as we read the scriptures this morning, we're going to move into chapter 10. It says those who sealed it were, and then it describes a lot of di people with different positions. Starting with Nehemiah, he began the, as the first and then the Levites, and then the leaders of the people. These were heads of families, all right? The very, the very patriarch of the family was committing his whole family to this agreement. And so you won't see some names that you, you think should be there like Ezra. Where's Ezra's name? I don't see Ezra's name. Because Ezra was represented by his grandfather or his great-grandfather in this document. Now, the rest of the people, it says, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. Note that, that it was the, all the families, it was everybody. They brought their children into this, all that could understand, whatever age that is. But I'm going to tell you that the things that I'm going to share with you this morning are not complex. Our little children can understand these things. And I, I, I encourage you as a teacher in this church, I encourage you as a mom or a dad, what you are about to learn this morning, you are held responsible to pass down to the next generation. They can understand these things. In fact, for the most part, they embrace these things with a welcoming heart, far more innocent and, and, and um, energetically than we often do. Do not hold this back from your children. Hold them to these things. Hold them to these love commitments to, the, to their great God. That's what this is all about. And that's why they engage the children in these things. And then it says this. All these now join their brothers and uh, the nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. The, the first key promise that is made here is just that. It's, it's that we will follow God's word in how we live, being careful to obey all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord, our Lord. This is about action. You'll notice in the words there, we will follow, we will obey. This is not just we will know, we will read, we will memorize, although all of those things are necessary in, in, uh, to enable us to obey and to follow, but this is action. God's word is always intended to be joined with action. It is what you know you now do. And that's what the promise they're making here to these people. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but it says we will be careful to obey all the commands. And it says carefully obey all of the commands. The Bible is not a collection of God's rough ideas or, or uh, experimental thoughts or generalities. Although a lot of people in our world want to treat the Bible that way. You, you've met most of them, or you've met lots of them in your life who say, well, you know, I, 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 you know, I take into consideration the Bible, and there's some things there that are probably pretty good, and in general, I, I, like, I think the golden rule is probably good, and, and not stealing, not cheating, all that kind of, I, I think those are probably good. There's generalities, but, but um, no, this isn't talking about generalities and rough ideas. Uh, that's that's the, the, the methodology of the world, which is the Broadway, and we all know where the Broadway leads. It leads to dis destruction. No, God's word is very specific, and we're to look at it very carefully, and we're to engage in it and to follow it and to obey it very carefully. We're not, we're not to look upon it as rough ideas and generalities and, and, and God's experimental thoughts, and as long as I get it close, it's all right. Close doesn't cut it with God. 
It only works in horseshoes and hand grenades and curling, I guess. I, there's a few other things. But it doesn't work in God's word. Close isn't close enough. Carefully, all the commands, regulations, and decrees of our Lord. And I know, do you notice here? Of the Lord, our Lord. It, dis, it describes for us the credentials of this one who is presenting to us these instructions and commands. But before we get there, I want to point out to you that we're talking about our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father giving us instructions and commands and regulations. Now, how many fathers do we have in here this morning? Uh, show me. Are you a father in here this morning? We got some fathers in here this morning. I presume that as fathers, you hand down some regulations and some commands and some expectations and some values in your home and, and, and how it ought to be. And, and I would venture to, to guess, and I think I'm in pretty, uh, pretty safe territory, that in doing so as fathers, you do this fundamentally from the heart of love for your children and your, and your wife because you love them so much, because you care so much for them, that you present to them uh, regulations and operational realities in your home that are protective and provide for them and take care of them and keep them away from harm as, as much as possible, all because you love them. And the Heavenly Father has already demonstrated to us that He loves us with enduring love through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now He turns to us and says, as, your, as children, as dearly beloved children, I want you to be careful to follow and obey all of my commands and regulations that I'm giving you, that you might not be hurt. I, I want you to enjoy the, the, the benefits of all that I have for you. I want you to know what it is to have peace and, and to live a guilt-free life. I want, I want you to know what it is to be free in me. I want you to know what it is to experience the fullness of all that you could be, all that I dreamed for you. I, I want all of that for you. And, and I, I, I want you to know that I'm coming at this from a heart of love for you. This is all about relationship. This is not about rules and regulations and ritual. Our religion is relationship. A relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. We, of all the religions of the world, present and proclaim, because our God has identified Himself this way, as a Heavenly Father who loves us with unending and enduring love. He never, ever, ever stops loving you. Not ever. Now, this is the presentation. But it comes to us from a description of the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You'll see that in your text. Our Lord, capital L, little O, little R, little D. What's the distinction here? This is giving the grand picture of God's credentials. Who he's talking about here is the covenant-keeping God. The Lord, the capital letters, is Yahweh. The I am, the great I am, who has made a covenant with us, who's made promises of salvation to us, and he will not go back on those promises ever. <clears throat> That's the God who is bringing to you his regulations and his commands. The one who, when he says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, that's exactly what he means. That's what he, prom what he promises he will deliver on. But not only is he the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, he is Lord, small letters, master, <clears throat> owner. He is the one who has the rightful stake in our lives. He's the promise-keeping God, but he's the owner God. He's the master God. And when God's people finally get it in their hearts and in their minds that God has the absolute authority to give us his word and for us to then abide by his word, we will finally know for sure that we are in the will of God. It is impossible. It is impossible to be in the will of God if you are not following and obeying every command that God has given to you. It's impossible. 
But when you are, you know for sure there, there's no decision, there's no indecision, there's no struggling or wrestling with, am I in the will of God? If you are careful to follow and obey all of his commands and regulations, you are in the will of God. That's how you can know. So is the Bible real? Are God's words real? That will shape your life. And by the way, the presentation that they made here and the commitment they made here shaped generations to come, right through to the time of Christ. This promise that they made at the time of Nehemiah had fruit and bore fruit in the generations to come, right through Christ's ministry. Do we realize that? There was still a remnant of faithfulness when Christ came. And, and that, is the, that is the offer to you. You are shaping generations to come by your commitment to revival and to personal revival. Well, there's a second thing that, that, that we get out of here, a key promise that we need to make to the Lord, and it is here. We promise, verse 30, not to give our daughters in marriage to the people around us or to take their daughters as, as uh, our sons. Uh, we've encountered this before. We encountered this last week. We encounter it throughout the scriptures. And it is simply this. We will not... Secondly, there's a promise. We will not contaminate the purity of the Christian line and risk dividing the loyalty of our hearts by marrying people who do not want Jesus as their Lord. This is a commitment we make to the Lord. This is a commitment that moms and dads make in raising their children to the Lord. And, and why is this given to us? This has been the... Since the book of Genesis to the very end... God has continually warned his people, whatever you do, do not assimilate into the values and culture of the people who do not love the Lord. Don't ever do that. And, and the, the most dramatic way that you can assimilate into the culture of people who don't love the Lord is by marrying someone who doesn't know the Lord. And so this was a very sober and important contract that they were making with God. We will guard our hearts from those people who do not love the Lord as their Savior. Our issues in this separate kind of behavior are not racial. They're religious. They are, it is a, it's, it's a, a not a racial divide, it's a religious divide. And the scriptures continue to speak about it. It transcends this testament alone and moves throughout the scriptures into the New Testament as well. The purity of the Christian line. We are talking about a holy people. That's who we are. We're called to be a holy people. To be to the praise of the glory of God. And we are to raise offspring, Malachi 2.15, who are godly. What's the reason Malachi was prophesying so significantly about the uh, relationships and marriage and all of that and oneness and, and all, <clears throat> so that godly offspring would be raised. This is a multi-generational, a generational upon generational reality. And so the presentation here is that we will, by all means, guard our hearts in this matter. People who don't want Jesus to be their Lord don't want him to be your Lord either. That's how it works. Decisions that are needing to be made, implications for lifestyle, direction, and all of that. It's all about who is the Lord of your life. And in a partnership relationship like marriage, you can't have two different minds that are direct, one going in this direction, another going in that direction. They will constantly be pulled apart. And so I am, I am urging you from God's word as moms and dads, and I realize that there's only so much that can be done. But in as far as it is possible, in your own strength and might with the grace of God, to build and develop values within your home that leave no room for anything but this. Uh, let's understand this, that, that as parents, we meet, need to make this a family value and the way our family operates Marrying an unbeliever will bring profound heartache at the very best. But it will bring lost children and spiritual deadness of the believing partner at its worst. 
And you all know that I'm recently a grandfather, and I, I know now uh, what it means to continue to have love that expands to the next generation. And uh, I want to tell you this morning that what we are talking about here, parents, is your grandchildren. We are talking about whether or not your grandchildren's hearts will be stolen away from the Lord right from underneath you. This is a, this is a matter of eternal consequences. And so interfere, do whatever is necessary, but whatever. Do not give your children to the peoples of this culture. They will steal their hearts away from the Lord. As we continue to read on here, we find the third. When the, when the neighboring peoples, verse 31, bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. The third promise that we make is this. We will rededicate ourselves to the Sabbath principle, whereby we set aside one day each week for the purposes of total focus on the things of God and total reliance on Him. Now, I, I know that you are, are, are fully aware that we are digging deep into the Old Testament text and the Old Testament scriptures, and you're saying to me, well, that's Sabbath, that's Old Testament, and all of that. Listen, let me, let me talk to you about what I really understand that the, the rela our relationship with God is all about. Because remember, we started to talk about this morning relationship. How do I love God? How do I demonstrate my love for God? We're answering that question this morning. That question was being answered here by those people. How are we going to love God? What's the binding agreement we're going to make that will demonstrate we love God? Well, we will love God by recognizing the principle that he has laid down for us and this amazing gift that he has given us as creator God. And that is this one day of rest every week. You see, our God created all of the world in six Days, six literal 24-hour days. And then he took a day off and he rested. That was a demonstration to us, not because God needed rest, not because he needed to do that, but he was setting forth a pattern that would be an enduring pattern that transcends the law. It predates the law. It is a creation principle that has been handed to us as an enduring activity and gift from God to his creation. God is literally saying to you, hey, listen, I know you like to work and I know you want to work hard and go ahead and work hard, but I'm going to give you one day off a week. And he says, and the reason I'm going to give you this gift of one day off a week so that you can stop your work and that you can, you, you can take a rest and take a break and focus on me is because... I can handle it. You see, you may think that you have to keep things rolling and keep things growing and keep things going. No, no I'm the creator. Uh, I, you can go ahead, take a day off, and, and you know, I know, I know it's risky. I know you're concerned that, that you'd hand it over to me and that I'd be looking after it all, but, but I, I can handle it. So I want you to take that day off. I don't want you to work. I don't want you to concern yourselves with the things. I'll provide for you. That's who I am. I'm creator God. I can look after you. And I want you to demonstrate to all the peoples of the world who want to work 7, 24-7-365 that as for you and your house, because you're God's people, you can take a break. You can take a rest. You can take a day off. And I want you to use that day to focus on me because I love you and I want time with you. And, and I want that one day a week with you. You know, I, I've been, uh, I'm an old guy now, Dwayne. I've been living a lot of years in this church culture thing. And I have noticed a real erosion in this whole principle of giving to the Lord our time. And in particular, our time on Sunday. And I've been noticing it really eroding over the last two decades now, we've all seen it eroding in the culture, but what frustrates me and saddens me and surely, surely um, disturbs God is that the Christian culture is following along with the secular culture and just burying Sunday in the busyness of our activities and, and, and grabbing a hold of Sunday as another day to gratify myself. The temptation for us in using this time is to become selfish 
or to become lazy or to embrace our insecurities and say, if I take this day off, the world will keep working hard and, and they'll keep their store open. And if their store is open, it's going to compete with my store. And, and I won't be, it won't be possible for me to, 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 uh, to keep up. And God is saying, are you kidding me? You're telling me you can't trust me? Now, this is what we're talking about here, this erosion of God's day and this temptation for us to make this time all about us. When, in fact, God wants us to make it all about him. Now, we know that the observance of specific days and a certain way and requirement and the new moons, festivals, and the, all of those kinds of things have been fulfilled in Christ. But the principle of granting to the Lord our attention transcends the testaments because he loves us. Is it not true in relationship that the constant complaint you might get from someone who's close to you is, I need more of your time. I want more time. Time spells love. Time spells relationship. The Father here loves us so much, he wants to have this time for us. And he's done, he, he says, leave it to me, I'll take care of everything for you. I'll give you this gift of time with me, and I'll turn around, I'll take care of everything for you. And, and for, for so many of us, we're, we're really coming to the place where we think that giving God like an hour and a half a week is a really big sacrifice. And if Rick blabs for 10 minutes past that, it is the sacrifice of all sacrifices. In fact, it is such a sacrifice, I can take next week off. I, I hear people say, I don't have time for God. My life is so busy. I have so many things to do. I'm constantly, wait a second. You have Sunday. What are you talking about that you're so busy? You have Sunday. You have a whole day. You have a whole day in seven. To not be busy. So, so what are you talking about to, to each other? What are we saying to God? He's given us this whole day. To not be busy. But to be in his presence. To focus on him. To gather together and lift up our hands in total praise. And, and if I talk for 13 hours, it wouldn't be too much. Or would it? I only got one amen and not one from you. Are you listening to me? You're worried about the camera. You know what? I'm going to stand over here so the camera's on you. Here's my buddy, Dwayne. Look at Dwayne. He's here, too. I saw him. He moved over. You see how far he moved over? He was, he was worried about the swinging, and now he's worried about the camera. You're worried about nodding off, aren't you? No. I think you are. I think you are. All right. All right. Let's go. There is revival in Dwayne's heart. This is a good day. <laughs> yeah, all right. I don't think so either. The 13 hours is my math. Because some of you love to be very specific. You say, well, pastor, what does that really mean? Because there's sleep time and all that. There's eating time and all that. Okay, fine. God wants one-seventh of your non-sleeping, non-eating time. And that translates into 13 hours. You have 13 hours that God wants your undivided attention every week. And if you're not giving God 13 hours a week, you're shortchanging him. I got one feeble amen, but it was a good amen. It was a good amen. This is the promise that they made to their God. There's a final one here if you can take another one. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. I want you to notice how many times a phrase is repeated. And then you'll understand what the theme of this section is. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, new moon festivals and appointed feasts, for the holy offerings, for sin offerings to make atonement for Israel, and for all the duties of the house of our God. We the priests... The Levites and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We also 
assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle and of our herds and of our flocks to the house of our God, to the priests ministering in the house of our God. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests in the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, and of the fruit of our trees and of our new wine and oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. A priest descended from Aaron is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites are to bring a tenth of the tithes up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury. The people of Israel, including the Levites, are to bring their contributions of grain, new wine, and oil to the storerooms where the articles for the sanctuary are kept and where the ministering priests, the gatekeepers, and the singers stay. We will not neglect the house of our God. The fourth and final commitment here that we make this morning is we will become intentional investors in the work of Christ's church to, de- to the degree that honestly expresses privilege. I know you're saying to me this morning, wait a minute, the house of our God in the New Testament is us. And that's true. So what's the enduring principle that, de- that we can develop here? Well, even in the fact that we are the temple of the living God, the temples of the living God are to gather together. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We are to... We are to practice the one another's in the scriptures. We come together for the Lord's table, for, for the ordinances of, of God, the baptism. We come together for instruction from God's word. The temples of the Lord are to gather together in this grand operation. And this operation, the support of the ministry in our lives as temples of the living God... The support of that ministry to the Lord and service to the Lord requires some support and structure. And whether or not you know it, support and structure costs money. And God doesn't shy away from that. And it, it, it carries through in the next testament, in the New Testament, that God anticipates that, in that he is a generous God to us that we will be an extravagant and generous God to him. Now, in the Old Testament, he required a certain percentage. He required the tithes, which was 10% of all that they had. But there were also other offerings that were required, were required beyond that. In the New Testament context, the, the tone of the New Testament is, it all belongs to God. And in the fact that it all belongs to God, the reality is, God is asking, so... How much are you going to keep for yourself? It's not about a quota of how much we give to God. The question really is, how much should I keep for myself? And the answer is, I should keep enough for myself in order to be able to give God extravagant gifts. That's, the, that's how we determine this. Because this again is what? A relationship. This again is illustrating what? Love. This is not about What's the very minimum that I can get away with and and still be somehow in God's good books? All of us in here are gift givers, I'm sure, of some sort with certain people. So I'll take the example of my own father. Do you think that when it comes time for Father's Day or his birthday or Christmas or whatever, I, I, uh, I, I sit down with my bank account and look at it and say, what's the bare minimum that I could spend on my dad and still be considered a good son and possibly get some inheritance. Well, what, do, you, do you think that that's what I sit down and sharpen my pencil? No, I don't do that. I, I mean, I love the man. It, what, whatever I think that he should have, it doesn't matter what the price tag is. That's what we give him because we love him. He's, uh, we want to grant to him something out of extravagance. It's a privilege for me to give something to my dad or to give something to my mom, or to give something to my wife. It's a privilege. It's not, a, it's not some sort of obligation that I resent and, and, and sharpen my pencil. And, and so it is with us in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. Uh, the, the, the heartbeat that we should have is, is not how minimal should it be, but, 
but what can I do that's extravagant that would express, when, when this plate comes around on a Sunday morning, what could I do that would express to God that I really love him and I really trust him and I really thank him for all that he's done for me? Isn't that what the, the budget top line should be in our, in our lives? You know, at the start of the year, the top line should be, what would be extravagant to give to God? Instead of what's going to be my income this year, how much am I going to make, how much is going to be taxed off, and how much is going to be used for entertainment, all of that, and then let's see, as I sharpen the pencil, what's the percentage that I could give to God? What do you think God thinks about when we sit down and do that? The bottom line is, there's no church that I know of that even meets an extravagance that matches the Old Testament. There is not a church that I know. So God's methodology of giving us freedom, one could say, impoverishes ministry. And all I can say is because we don't love him enough. We don't love him enough. I can't imagine that what he expected as a toll in the Old Testament would be considered extravagant and certainly not extravagant in the New Testament context. When someone loves you and they give you a gift and you thank them, it would be a rarity and probably never that someone would say, well, it was kind of the expected minimum. I mean, how, how, would you, how would you receive that gift? Well, it was the expected minimum. Would you give someone a gift and they thank you and you love them and you gave it to them because you love them? Isn't the right answer, it was my privilege to give to you? When that offering plate goes by, our response to the Lord is, This is my privilege, oh God. Here it is. He talks in the text about first fruits and firstborns and first sales and all that kind of stuff. If you love God, He's first in your heart, He's first in your mind. He's first out of your wallet because you love him. Don't hear even a quiet amen. I know, I know it's tough. That's why they called it a binding agreement. They were cutting a sacrificial promise. Ours is a religion of relationship. This table demonstrates it. A God who lavished his love on us puts it back to us. Every time we come to the Lord's table, Jesus asks you this question. He asked it of Peter. Peter, do you love me? Remember? He asks each of us, When we come to communion, Bill, Peter, Sharon, Susan, whatever, do you love me? And our response is, yes, Lord, I love you. And then he says to us, are you all in? Because I'm all in. If if the... The cup and the bread tell us anything. They tell us that Jesus was all in. And this is a renewal of vows this morning, beloved. Do you love me, Jesus says, because I sure love you. I'll never stop loving you. Are you all in? Because I'm always going to be all in with you. So this morning, we're not going to have a communion service Base with the actions or activity the way we normally do, which is for the deacons to serve you. That's just a little bit too passive today. Today is a day for renewal of commitment.
I'm going to call our deacons and their wives to come forward right now. Today is a day where we take a look at these four things. These four promises. Because it says in the word of God, a man or woman should examine themselves when they come to the Lord's table. And we are going to examine our hearts with respect to these four promises. Are we really willing to obey the Lord's word? Are we really willing to practice the Sabbath principle? Are we really willing to keep our hearts loyal to God, our families loyal to God? Are we really willing, are we really promising to invest generously out of privilege to the things of God? In light, in view of all that he's done for us. That's what communion is. It's a renewal of vows. Do you love me? Are you all in? And so I'm going to hand, I'm going to offer to, to the, um, I'm going to offer to our deacons and their wives the elements. And they're going to scatter themselves throughout the building here, throughout this auditorium. And as you reflect on this question, do you really love Jesus? Are you really all in? I'm going to invite you to only come and receive communion if it's a commitment from your heart. Don't follow the crowd. This is a faith moment. This is a moment to ask the question about whether or not a relationship is real with God. This is a commitment moment, a binding commitment. And I want you to receive both the bread and the cup, but I don't want you to take them. I just want you to receive them and then go back and sit down and reflect upon the promises you're making today before the Lord. If there's someone who physically cannot get up and do this, but in your heart you certainly want to, when everybody sat back down, please just put up your hand and one of our deacons will find you and their wives and we'll make sure that you're served. But if you're able-bodied and your heart is willing, then receive communion today. Otherwise, don't promise something that you're not going to deliver. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning as we make a binding agreement as a congregation. I pray, Lord, that you would help us understand the gravity of what this is all about. And these sacrifices are not hard. It seems to me, Lord, these four things are the bare minimum of what it would mean to love you. There's so much more you could ask of us. But this you ask. And Lord, I pray that God's people here would be willing to give this to you. Thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Our Lord, you are wonderful to us. And we love you. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. I'm going to ask Deacon Alain Jaguer to return thanks for the bread. Our Father, what, uh, what is a privilege to be here today. What a, what a great privilege to be your children. And uh, Lord, we, uh, we want to worship you. We want to praise you totally, like we said this morning, total praise to you. Lord, we just uh, song, um, sang, I surrender all, and what it is um, so hard and difficult to understand uh, sometimes, why don't we surrender all? So, but it is the de desire of our heart this morning that we surrender all. So Lord, we want to say thank you for your great uh, gift of salvation. Because you paid it all. You paid the total price for us. So, Lord, thank you. And we want to worship you in, in, in committing our lives to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. After he had broken it, he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
the same manner after supper he took the cup. I'm going to ask Paul Robinson to return thanks for the cup. Jesus, whoever calls upon your name will be saved. Wow, we just think of that. The love that you have for us. You were all in, Jesus, when you walked to that cross. You were all in when you had nails driven through your hands and feet. You were all in when your blood covered our sins. Father, are we all in? Boy, sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But Father, we have to be all in. We love you so much. We are here to remember you sacrifice upon that cross and your blood that covers our sins forever. Father, keep our minds clear now as we take of this cup. Remember, Father, we just want to see you hanging on that cross, Father. Thank you so much for, for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This morning has been about relationship. Commitment to relational action points. Prioritizing God's word specifically. Not generalities, specifically. Prioritizing the support of Christ worship through our time, our talents, our possessions. And then remaining finally steadfastly distinct from the values of the world, not allowing our heart to ever be disloyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the promises that they made and that we've made. By God's strength, His grace-driven grace strength through His Holy Spirit, we will live these promises out. Our Father, today, we praise You, we thank You, we bless You, we love You. You are a glorious God. And we want, Lord, by your strength to live in relationship to you that demonstrates that we love you by action, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.